Thank you, Dania. Does Kim have this is this is the pass off yeah. microphone? Okay, cool. Um, hey, y'all, I have the privilege of introducing Kim Blaylock, our new Mercy Team director here. And so we are just so thankful for you, Kim, and for your willingness. Y'all give her a hand. Thank you for being willing to serve our body. Uh, had a membership meeting with Kim as she was joining as an official partner of Grace Bible Church and kind of talking about her gifts and ways she wanted to be involved. And I was like, hmm, I have an idea. <laughs> Uh, she's like, all right, I'll do it. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, you just joined the church. Let's pray about it for like a week. So she prayed about it for a week, and now she's our new Mercy Team. So anyway, we're so thankful that you're willing to serve in this way. Thank you very much. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Mercy Team is kind of vague, right? We're all Christians. We all show mercy to everybody all the time. Uh, mercy is just a big idea of Christianity. Specifically, what we mean here at Grace Bible Church is we have a team of folks that brings meals uh, and other needs to people when there's been a new birth or a death, or other kind of life passage. Um, and so Kim is helping us to organize that. A lot of our small groups and classes tend to organize this naturally around your, your smaller grouping of friends, and so that happens very organically through life here at Grace Bible Church, but we found it's really nice to have someone that kind of oversees that for us to help us make sure people are not falling through the cracks. So Kim's going to have a table set up in the hallway where you can meet her and talk about getting more involved. But Kim, tell us maybe what are a couple of things that you'd like people to know about how they could get involved here? Well, so far we've really just done meals, mm-hmm. um, but we would also like to maybe uh, encourage people to write notes um, to people, just mm-hmm. up with them, encourage them. Maybe it's calls, visits, mm-hmm. um, just whatever is needed by the family. Wonderful. You know, I just want to thank those that have already stepped up and helped. I know mm-hmm. that's been a blessing to those families. Yeah, that's great. And then you're kind of rebuilding the team right now. And I think just through database changes, COVID, uh, you know, world supply chain shortages, for all these different reasons, uh, we don't have all the names of people that used to do it, right? Is that right? So yes. what do, do they need to talk to you again, meet yes, with you face-to-face? Please, if you've been on the Mercy team in the past and okay. you still like to serve, okay. uh, then see me afterwards, like said, Dave said, at the table in the back. Okay. I'd be happy to get you re-signed up. Wonderful. Uh, current need, uh, new baby that was just born, our audiovisual director, Kendrick. Um, he has a wife, Asia. Asia actually gave birth to the baby. <laughs> Alea. And I brought you a picture. There I am with Alea. Isn't she beautiful? Don't you love that? Isn't that great? Camera? I'll just hold it up. Maybe the camera team can get that. So anyway, we're really excited. So this, this is a particular opportunity to bring a meal to them, uh, but we're, just gonna, we're about to have a lot more babies, right? Our youth director's about to have a baby. Um, so we are multiplying the old-fashioned way here at Grace Bible Church. <laughs> Very thankful for that, but also times of need uh, occur as well. So I uh, encourage you to, to contact Kim. Thank you so much, Kim, for being able to do this. Let me pray for you, okay? okay? God, we thank you for Kim and her willingness to serve and lead us in this area. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to support her. I pray for all those that have gifts of encouragement, note writing, meal making, uh, visitation, that you would bring them alongside her and that we could be a body uh, where people see your love at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. you can take that somewhere. I don't know. We'll just pass it to Chris. There you go. Give that to Chris. I don't, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> Whew. We also have a business announcement. So we are going to get to some Bible preaching here in a minute, but we have a business announcement first. And really, that's just a simple update. We'd like to update you on where we're at with giving. So occasionally we'll do a business update. Um, At Grace Bible Church, we believe that giving is a part of worship, but we continue to teach uh, and admonish that giving should be a response to God's kindness to us in Jesus. And so if you're a visitor, 
really encourage you not to give. If, if you're a millionaire and want to just throw some extra money at us, that's fine. But generally, we encourage you, if you're a visitor, not to give. If you're not already a committed follower of Jesus, not to give, uh, but just to consider Jesus. But those of you that are locked in, that are part of what we're doing here, uh, that believe that Jesus has given to you, a natural progression of that is to give out to others. So we encourage you to partner with us in our ministry here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, for those of you that maybe aren't able to give as much as you're able, we encourage you to to just kind of make a low bar and, and take a next step of giving. Um, maybe you think, man, I want to give more and I can't, so I'm not going to give anything. I just encourage you to to plan something regular and start giving some regular amount moving forward, building forward with your budget. We talked about that some in the sermon last week, but wanted to give you encouraging news and thank you for those of you that are giving. Thank you so much for your giving. And we moved from about 80% through the year of our um, budgeted income. We bumped that up last time to about 83% and we're now sitting at about 86%. So we're seeing that number, that percentage point go up. So I just want to thank you for that and give you that good news, uh, but also continue to, to rally more of you that are kind of on the fence to help us financially as we seek to share the good news of Jesus with this community. So thanks for partnering with us in that way. So now we're going to spend some time in the scriptures. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians. We're continuing our series called The Messed Up Church. We've been focusing in on the middle chapters of 1 Corinthians. Some would argue the toughest chapters of 1 Corinthians, chapters 5 through 10. And what we've been seeing here is that the Corinthian church is messed up. We've joked about words like dumpster fire, right? Like it's just a mess. And yet we see reflected in the Corinthian church a lot of the same problems that the modern church has today. Uh, We reflect the same problems in the American church here, even at Grace Bible Church. And so we thank God again and again that he's a God of grace, that he doesn't save us because we have our acts together. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this week, as we're transitioning on into chapters 9 and 10, we're going to finish chapter 9. We'll be in verses 19 through 27. I believe it's around page 850, no, not. 857, 957 in the Black Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those Black Bibles somewhere around 957. It's 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 27. We're calling it gospel craziness. Gospel craziness. There's an obsessiveness here. So I'm not talking about like diagnosed mental illness. I'm talking about the violation of social norms. I'm talking about people like you and me looking different, like living in a new way that seems to be an upsetting of the normal values of human life. We see Paul obsessing over sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. Have you ever been in a situation in life where your goal, your mission became so important to you that the people around you were like, you're, you're acting kind of crazy, right? Like you're kind of obsessed with this goal. I, I think we've all been there in different walks of life. Uh, I played sports growing up. I was never good at sports. I always have to kind of add that interjection. Uh, Whenever I tell stories about myself, it's not about how great I was, but it's just a a thing I did a lot, right? Um, And I noticed this in sports. Maybe this has happened to you. You're just so obsessed with scoring that goal that that you're willing to do damage to yourself, right? Um, I was playing flag football with some church friends in my 20s. So a bunch of us young guys, 20s to 30s, playing flag football in seminary. And there was this one guy that had played professional football for a little while. He played college football. So he was quite a bit bigger, stronger, more talented than the rest of us, right? The rest of us were just regular dudes. Um, And I felt like he was being a little rough with the other players. So I felt like I needed to teach him a lesson, you know? Um, Flag football is not supposed to be physical, 
but it's kind of like basketball. You're, you know, you're slamming and bumping into each other the whole time. Uh, you know, not too much, but it's happening. This one guy was big and he was doing it a lot. And so I remember one particular time I'm going up for a pass and I'm catching the ball and he's guarding me too closely, like he'd been doing the whole game. So I'm like, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And I just come down as hard as I can while I'm catching the pass and slam him with my, my arm, my massive arms. I just come down, <laughs> slam this guy really hard. And you know what? He didn't, he didn't move at all. Um, I don't even know if he noticed it. I'm telling this story. He probably doesn't remember it, right? You know, it's just one more day. Now, I want you to know I caught the pass. I want you to know also that we won the game. But I also want you to know I broke my arm that day. <laughs> I broke my arm trying to teach a big guy a lesson, right? It was this crazy obsession with the goal, with catching the pass, with scoring the goal, with teaching the guy that was playing too rough a lesson about, you shouldn't play so rough. So I broke my own arm to teach him that lesson. And I share that story with you, really not in pride, right? Because I feel kind of stupid because I don't think I taught him any lessons at all. But just an example of like, I was willing to break my arm for that. That was kind of stupid, right? Not kind of stupid. That was really stupid. That was really stupid. You know, that was the first broken bone I'd ever had. I'd played football my whole life, and it wasn't until I was like 28, 29 that I broke my arm. Um, it's just one example. I think I've seen this in, in your lives, right? Uh, maybe you're on vacation, and the kids are crying because they need to go to the bathroom. You're like, no, we've got to make the goal. Like, we've got to keep going, right? And you're crazy, about getting to your mission, about getting to that goal. Maybe it's at work. People see this kind of thing set into you where you've got work goals and you're like, we've got to accomplish this mission. We've got to all work late hours. We've got to do whatever it takes. It happens in all different areas of life. Here in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is modeling for us that we as God's people should be crazy about the gospel, not about scoring touchdowns, or completing our work goals. We should be crazy about the gospel, that the gospel is the center of who we are as God's people. The gospel, if you don't know, is merely a word for the good news. Good news. It comes from the old English, good spell. It's good words, good news. It's this announcement that God has come for us in Jesus, that Jesus has taken our sin upon his back, that he died to take our place, that he lived the perfect life we couldn't live, that he is our substitute, that if you look to Jesus, you will be saved, that God delights in you through Christ. That is good news, guys. And Paul says we should structure our entire lives around this good news. We should structure our worship gatherings. He's gonna say in even more detail in chapter 14, we should structure the way we do church around us seeing this good news and outsiders seeing this good news. Our lives should be built around this good news, this, this gospel message. So we're going to read this in chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, the good news, that I may share with them in its blessings. 
Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I hope you see that Paul is obsessed with the good news of Jesus. And Paul is calling us to be obsessed with the good news of Jesus. He's speaking to the Corinthian church that's messed up, that's that's kind of drifting, right, from this being their center, their foundation. He's saying, I mean, you're all worried about your own rights. You're worried about your tribal divisions. You're worried about your own preferences. You should lay those things aside and, and make Jesus the center of it all. Make the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done for you. You should make that the center so that your, your discipline, your focus, your mission is all built around this good news of Jesus. That's what Paul is calling to us. This passage is particularly important to me when we were planting this church 15 years ago, the year before that. I was really struggling with my own personal call, wanted to plant a very particular kind of church. If if you don't uh, know this much about me, very kind of nerdy, upbringing, artistic, sensitive kind of person, right? Um, And I had this vision of a very hipster, artsy church, right? We were living in downtown Temple. We were part of the downtown renewal. We were we were remodeling an antique home and really had this vision of like, yeah, I really want to you know, plant this very kind of cool downtown hipster church. But I, I sensed, we could see that the church I was a part of in Temple was, was really seeing a need in Colleen, Texas. So I started meeting with people in Colleen, Texas and hearing about the need, that, that people needed Jesus, right? It's a huge city and it's only gotten bigger and bigger and there's great, great need of the gospel here. And so I was hearing that need, but kind of had this desire to do this kind of certain thing, you know, this cool church for only 20 people downtown that had a certain artistic temperament. Um, but hearing like, no, there, there are lost people that need to know about Jesus. And I, I heard Alistair Begg, Scottish dude, preach on this passage. Great sermon if you can get past his, his crazy accent. Actually, some people prefer him because he's got the crazy accent. But he was preaching about this and it just helped it crystallize in my mind like, oh, the, the point is the gospel. That's the point, not my preference, not my favorite style, not my favorite music, not my culture. The point is the gospel. Paul said that he wanted to win all people to Christ, that he would become all things to all people so that by all means he could save some. He was committed to laying aside his preferences and his rights. And so as we look at this text, I wanna challenge you. What are your preferences? How has God shaped you? What's your personal calling? What's your personal giftedness? And then in what ways can those things be bent and turned towards the gospel? In what ways maybe Jesus is asking you to lay down your preferences? Like, I prefer this, but you know what? If I, if I do this other thing, maybe more people would hear and see and taste the goodness of Jesus. This is my prayer, that we would um, not all just kind of, without thinking, give up everything we love, but that we would say, no, the point is pursuing Jesus. How, how do we help people to see Jesus? How do we in our own hearts savor Jesus more, and that we would build a community where we're all doing that together. So let me pray for us and ask God to teach us this morning. God, we thank you that you do teach us through your word, that the scriptures, they speak with the authority, the relevance of Jesus himself, that your spirit is present with us. Um, so we, we trust you in your goodness. We thank you, Father, that you're an adopting, caring Father that loves us and brings us close to you. We pray that like Jesus, we would see what the Father's doing and join in his work. God, thank you for the model of Paul and, and this picture that he calls the Corinthian church to and he calls us to of, of just building our lives, shaping our entire lives around 
the good news of Jesus. Help us um, to walk with you in faithfulness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this text, um, again, sorry, I know I'm confusing those of you that have been with me a long time. I'm doing another two-point sermon. So if you're new, I usually do three-point sermons, but here, two weeks in a row, I've done a two-point sermon. So two-point outline. Here it is. The two-point outline is, is very simple. Two big ideas. Number one, we see that Paul and we should be crazy about gospel persuasion. And then the second point is that we should be crazy about gospel obedience. So the first section is pretty clear, crazy about gospel persuasion. He uses the word win. I'm trying to win people to the gospel. I want to persuade them of the truth of the gospel, that people would trust in Jesus. So gospel persuasion. And then the second one is gospel obedience. He talks about a runner running in this disciplined, obsessive, I'm running after Jesus, I'm pursuing Jesus, I'm going to do whatever Jesus says, right? Gospel obedience. So gospel persuasion, gospel obedience. So the first point is crazy about gospel persuasion. What would it look like for us like Paul and like Jesus, to be crazy about gospel persuasion. So Paul lays out again, kind of going back to where we were last week, that he's an apostle who has rights and privileges of leadership. He has leadership privileges. There's certain things he could do, certain things he could demand of people, but he lays those down. He humbly serves others. He doesn't demand things, but he gives of himself. 19, for though I am free from all, he says, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So again, this is servant leadership. Jesus dies for us. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Here we see Paul modeling his life after Jesus and Paul calling us to model our life after Paul and after Jesus. We would be servant leaders. We would lay down our demands and our rights. We wouldn't stand on, this is what I'm owed, but we would give that up so that others would see Jesus. And so we see this pattern that Paul calls us to, and then he goes into some details about what this works, how this works out, and and uses some cultural language. So let me run through this in verses 20 through 22. Verse 20 says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law that I might win those under the law. So some parenthetical phrases here, some confusion uh, number one, was Paul a Jew or not? What do you think? Yeah, Paul was a Jew, but he's talking like he's not. So what does that mean? What that means is I might say, uh, just to pick on the worship team, Chris was like, we did kind of a Texas number, right? Like, great. You know, like some people that that's your style preference, you're like, oh, I love that. That was great. And then the idea is like, okay, I'm a, I'm a Texan, but to the Texans, I might be a Texan. I might be able to speak Texan so that Texans can hear the gospel. For those of you that don't know, I actually am a Texan. Um, but before God, I'm not really a Texan, right? I'm a child of God. Like my Texasness is like here compared to being a child of God. Being a child of God is what really matters. And so again and again at Grace Bible Church, what we've tried to say is we want to hold our, our cultural backgrounds loosely, right? Yeah, I'm a Texan. Yeah, I love barbecue, Right? Yes, I love that we have Texas Shave waffles at all our hotels. I love it. I mean, it's just awesome to me. But we want to hold that loosely, right? That's secondary identity. That's not really who I am. Really, deep down who I am is I'm a forgiven sinner. I belong to Jesus. And that means I have more in common with the person from Wisconsin that grew up on a dairy farm, right, than I do with other Texans if we both know Jesus. And so there's this commonality we have in Christ, and Paul's calling us to see that. 
He's saying, yeah, to the Jews, I, I make much of my Jewishness, right? So if you're talking to a friend about Jesus and you like, you have something in common, that's great. That builds a bridge. You can understand each other. You can communicate. You're in the same unit in the army. Great, we're in the same unit of the army. We, we, we can talk the same lingo. Uh, we had the same background. Like we were both teachers. Oh, we understand what it's like to be a teacher, right? Or we grew up in the same zip code. We understand what it's like to grow up in the zip code. I grew up out, you know, in this big city. Oh, I can connect with this other big city person or, or the opposite. I grew up in the country, connect with the country person. That's great. Paul's saying, yeah, to the Jews, I'm like a Jew, but he's like, just to be clear, I'm not under the law. I'm free from all that. I'm bound to Jesus, right? And so Paul's trying to communicate here that we can use our cultural background as an entree to communicate to other people culturally, but it's no longer our primary identity. So don't be ashamed of your background. Don't be ashamed of, you know, who you used to be. Those can be good things. As Christians, we're, we're supposed to, you know, filter it and say, okay, there's some things from my background that were sinful, Right? So for Texans, uh, there's things that we celebrate, but then we're kind of prideful, right? I think the Bible says we should not be prideful, so we got to put that away. But there are other things that we can enjoy, right? For whatever your background is, okay, there are some things I grew up in my culture. You know, I had a culture that, that maybe you would say, my culture really obsessed over money more than anything else. Okay, well, it's good to be responsible, right? Like, that's a biblical value. You can hold that up and appreciate that from your culture, but maybe not to turn money into an idol. You want to put that away, right? And so we're always filtering our culture. We don't completely eliminate our secondary identity or where we grew up or the zip code or the background of the education, our ethnicity, our tribal affiliation, our cultural style. We can hold on to those things and enjoy them, but they're not the main thing about who we are. And when we hold that loosely, we're better able to communicate the good news with other people from other cultures, and we're better able to love and appreciate other cultures. It's one of the beautiful things that God has done here at Grace Bible Church is people from all different cultures and backgrounds coming together and loving each other and, and learning to get along and learning to make Jesus the point and making our culture secondary. We might have healthy debates over like, well, I value this and you value that. Why do you see it this way? Well, I see it this way. I grew up this way, and so I see this. Do you see that? And, and we can work those things out in common because they're not everything, because they are secondary Matters. And so Paul here is saying, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews to Jesus. That's what he's talking about, gospel persuasion. So when you have something in common with someone, he's saying, yeah, enjoy that so that you can help them to see better who Jesus is. And he clarifies, though, I'm not myself under the law, but he would put himself under the law in ways to win those to the law. So the word law is used two different ways in scripture. So just got to clarify this because he's going to do a second parenthetical statement about this. There's the moral law, right? Don't lie, don't murder, don't kill people, right? We often summarize that in the Ten Commandments. And then there's this kind of comprehensive, complex system of the Mosaic Covenant, often in Scripture called the Old Covenant, with all the Levitical ceremonies. And so there were national laws about being a Jew. There were ceremonies about being a Jew, which were basically all their rules about how they were going to project in their broadcasting center, the temple, the holiness, and the sacrificial system, the grace of God and the holiness of God, right? So it was this very complex system that they were bound to as Jews. Paul's saying, now that, now that Jesus has come, we're not bound to all that, but we're still bound to the moral requirements. The ethics are the same. And so that's kind of the back and forth that you hear him saying. There's the being bound to the law in the sense of all these ceremonial requirements. That's different. He's like, yeah, I'm free of that. But we're still bound to obey God. In that sense, we're all still bound to the law. Does that make sense? But none of us can save ourselves by the law. Our only hope is what? The gospel, Jesus. He's our hope. 
And so in Romans, Paul talks about this a lot. In Galatians, Paul talks about this a lot. And in the book of Hebrews, we see this a lot. This idea that, yeah, we're no longer bound to the ceremonial law, but we're still bound to the moral law. We should obey God, but none of us do it perfectly. So our only hope is Jesus who obeyed for us. He obeys for us. He gives us resurrection life as a gift by faith in Jesus. And then we still try to obey him, right? We don't obey him to win his love. He's already given us his love. We obey him because he's good, because we trust him, because we believe him. We're not trying to trick him into blessing us. So then he goes on, verse 21, to those outside the law became as one outside the law. So again, talking more about this tribal distinction to these Gentiles, these Greeks, these Romans that don't have all this uh, bondage to kosher eating or the ceremonies or whatever. He said, to those guys, yeah, it's not a big deal. And I could, I could speak their language. We could eat shellfish together. You know, I could go to their barbecues. I could go to their parties. To those outside the law became as one outside the law. But he's like, just to clarify, not being totally outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, right? So he's trying to clarify this thing of like, yeah, there's a sense tribally, culturally, where I'm free from all that. Morally, oh no, we have the same morality. We're bound to the moral structure of Old and New Testament, but tribally, culturally, style-wise, the ceremonies, we're, we're free. We no longer have to observe these ceremonial laws. Verse 22 kind of summarizes it here. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. In our culture, that phrase is used as a negative term. You know, you can't be all things to all people, right? You ever heard that before? We say it all the time. Can't be all things to all people. Everybody knows you can't be all things to all people. Paul says, well, yeah, that's what I'm shooting for, though, for the sake of the gospel. So, so let me help you with this, because for those of you with a sensitive conscience, you may feel really guilty. Maybe you've said this phrase, and you're like, oh, no, I'm a terrible person. It's okay. There's a very practical sense in which, yes, you cannot, in a totality, absolute sense, be all things to all people. None of us can. And that's not really what Paul means. Paul means in a situational sense, as the opportunity arises, I'm going to be whoever I need to love you where you are. It's a person-by-person situation, right? We think of it at a corporate level with things we do in our gathering, trying to, you know, trying to sand off the rough edges of, of how we communicate and how we do life together as a congregation so it can be as multi-tribe and multi-ethnic as possible. But really, it just comes down to individual choices for all of us. Like, hey, I'm going to love this other person. And I have this value, but I might recognize that's, that's a secondary value. Maybe that's a ceremonial value or a cultural or a tribal preference I have, but I can lay that down so I can be all things to all people, meaning this person right in front of me, this real human being, I'm going to love them and try to see things through their eyes as much as I can. I'm not going to compromise morally, but ultimately we're going to try to communicate. We're going to try to build bridges so that they can see Jesus and savor Jesus the same way I do. And so that, that's our goal, to do that together. And it's a constant filtering process. All missionaries have to do this. Missionaries move into a new culture. They do some basic things, right? Like they, they often live in the kind of house that the people in that culture live in. And they're giving up some of their rights and privileges or what they're used to, right? And they're like, hmm, this is a different thing. I'm not used to this. You know, this is not how I'm used to living. They, they learn a new language. Often they'll dress like the people there, Right? Now, dress is generally neutral. The Bible does have some things to say about modesty, right? We should wear clothes. So there's some basic things there. But, but generally, we can, we can dress like other people. We can learn their language. We can live in the kind of houses they live in. We can eat their food. And so these are all things we do to build bridges and connect 
with people. That's really the goal, that we would love people where they're at. Again, not morally compromising, but we would translate the message so that there would be real gospel, gospel persuasion, gospel communication. The goal is that people would see Jesus. The goal is the good news. That's the goal. We want to be crazy about that. We'll look crazy because we're letting go of our old culture. And people that come from our culture are like, what's happened to you? You're like, well, it's just not as important to me anymore. We're not pretending that we're something we're not. We're just saying these things are not as important to me. I grabbed a picture of Google Translate. We have a growing number of technological abilities to communicate to each other. And I really want to encourage you to prayerfully make your translating work and your gospel persuasion work a case-by-case, neighbor-by-neighbor, friend-by-friend situation. Because what's happening is we're in this new era where we're more global than ever before, where we see people all, all over the world more than ever before, where we feel connected with people all over the world more than ever before. You can't actually know all those people. I just want to break it to you. You can't really be their friend, right? I think I have 2,000 Facebook friends. Those aren't really my friends, right? Like some of them are, but you just, you can't humanly be friends with that many people, right? Like in the sense of really knowing each other and spending time together. So I just want to warn you that we're in this age where we have the promise of connection and translation and communication with thousands and millions. No, just, just know the people next to you, get to know them, your neighbors, your coworkers, communicate with them, meet them where they're at. So Paul's saying, this is my model. He's giving them, Corinthians, you shouldn't be so big about your divisions and your tribes and your preferences. You should lay those rights down to communicate the gospel to other people. And Paul gives himself as a model, and he's obviously modeling himself after Jesus who sacrificed for us. And so here's a question that I have. I want you to think about the last few things that you, and this happens to me too, have groaned about at our church or any other church. I want you to think about those things. And this is not to like make you feel guilty, but you know, it might a little bit. Uh, Number one, were those things that made you groan in church, were those issues of convenience and cultural preference for you? Were those your own issues of convenience and cultural preference? Or number two, and I understand the world's more complicated than my two choices here, but number two, were the issues that were making it harder for you or your friends to see Jesus? I believe those are two different things. Obviously, there's kind of a sliding scale. We're complicated people. You know, I'm just trying to summarize these things down to prove a point. Last time you groaned in church, were you groaning because your preferences were not met? Or were you groaning because it was hard for you to see and savor Jesus, hard for your friends and your neighbors to see and savor Jesus, the gospel, the good news of who he is? We really want to work more on the second issue than the first. That's, that's what I'm calling us to, to kind of hold more loosely our own personal preferences like Paul is modeling and then more clearly try to communicate the good news. If you are focused on the first a lot in your own heart, I'd, I'd ask you to pray that the Lord would give you more opportunities to talk to other friends about Jesus, talk to friends that don't know Jesus, or maybe friends that are on the fence, confused about Jesus. In our context in the South, there are a lot of people that are what we would call religious lost, that grew up in church but have some real church hurt and so they have some hang-ups. A lot of times, it's not just communication and language. A lot of times, it's culture that makes it hard for them to see and hear the gospel. Maybe they need someone that listens to them, that pays attention to them, that loves them, that serves them. So I'd ask you to ask the Lord to 
to put those people in your life and those kind of conversations, those, those, those relationships in your life to help you kind of loosen your grip on, on your own preferences. And I, I struggle with this too. Like this is a constant process in my own life. I'm not just trying to throw this on you guys. Number two, if the issues are, man, I'm groaning because I, f- I feel like at GBC, we're missing some people here, right? Like we're not, some people aren't hearing the gospel in their language and I want them to, right? So number one, there's the practical sense of, you know, at some practical level, we can't be all things to all people in a perfect, absolute sense, but we want to keep working at it, right? So here's a process if that's where you're at. Um, help us fix it. Help us get better at it, right? So number one, pray for us. Pray that we would be a place where the gospel would be lifted up, where people would just be crazy about Jesus and see Jesus and be amazed at Jesus. And that would always be the primary thing that we're about. Will you pray for us that that would be true here? Number two, would you then consider if you could fill the gap, right? Would you pray and say, Jesus, how could I help bridge that gap? How could I become a translator on this team? How could I help this friend that's maybe not seen it to, to hear and understand better? Often these are relational issues, more than communication issues. Those things work together. And then thirdly, if you're like, I've done what I can, I think maybe the leadership's missing it, then, then tell us about it. Yeah, come to us about it. But please don't start at the top in a sense of like, just Dave needs to fix everything that's broken at the church, right? Like I can't, it's, it's all of us. We are the church, right? So start with praying. Secondly, start with how can I fill the gap? And then, then come tell us like, yeah, I think y'all are missing it. And I, I thank you because many of you have done that in the past. You're like, yeah, I, think, I think there's a blind spot here. And, and we've tried to make adjustments again so that the gospel is more clear. And then finally, for those of you that are like, man, I'm not even sure if I know Jesus personally. I, w- I want you to consider Jesus. Have, have you come to Jesus in that sense? Or has your own background and identity been what you've been leaning on to save you? Ha- has your secondary identity been the thing? Because Jesus calls you to come to him and be born again. Say, my first birth wasn't enough. I need to be born again by the Holy Spirit. I need to see that Jesus is my only hope. Come to Jesus. He, he is your first primary and foundational identity, and he offers you new life. So next point, then we want to be crazy about gospel obedience. So I ended with come to Jesus, and here we'll see Paul modeling this. He's just going to obsessively pursue Jesus. And so again, the gospel story is that Jesus lived the life that we could not live. He came into our broken world. He lived through the pain and suffering that we've all lived, yet he did it with love and obedience. And so he is the model human. And so when we trust in Jesus, God sees us through the perfection of Jesus and he delights in us as perfect and and beautiful and obedient and brave and loving. Jesus died to take our place. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he really had defeated sin and death. And so that's the good news. And Paul's gonna say, and I am obsessed with it. Paul's like, I'm a runner that's just running towards that prize of being closer to Jesus. Now this language can be a little confusing, Because if you struggle with performance guilt, you might think that Paul is saying here, if I run well enough, if I'm a good enough spiritual athlete, so to speak, then God will love me. And I just want to remind you again that the story is complete and clear throughout Scripture so that when we have these passages that make it seem like a performance gospel, we have to check those with the rest of scripture that says, no, we perform because we're just crazy about Jesus, right? So we run 
because Jesus has come after us, because we love him, because we're obsessed with him, because we're crazy for Jesus. And so we have to hear it through that lens. The best summary that's short that I would give you is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it says, you are absolutely not saved by your performance. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved by the grace of God, by trusting in Jesus. And then what happens? He gives you good works and performance to do. As, as you love him, as you follow him. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 summarizes that theologically for us. And then here, Paul is gonna emphasize the pursuit part, the good works that we're doing. Nine twenty three, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. What's he saying there? Uh, Often it wasn't a gold medal that they got, but it was like a wreath of greenery and flowers that they would get as an award, right? He's saying, so these athletes work so hard and they get this wreath that dries up and dies. But we're competing for the prize of Jesus himself. We're running after Jesus, knowing him, loving him, receiving his grace. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's like I've I've proclaimed that Jesus is worth everything. I don't wanna be disqualified and turn out to live this life where I'm like, yeah, forget Jesus, I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna save myself through through pleasure and sin. No, he's like, I'm gonna continue to run after Jesus. Again, just to be clear, we're not saved by running the race perfectly. We run the race because Jesus has saved us. But gospel obedience is a real running of a real race. It is real pursuit. It is real beating of our body. It is real discipline. It is real sweat and blood and tears as we pursue Jesus. And so just a good question for you is, are, are, are you struggling, straining, stretching out to pursue Jesus? Because Paul says that, that's what it looks like to be crazy about what Jesus has done for us, it it affects us, it changes us. If the good news has really awakened your eyes, you see that prize and you start running for it. Um, One of my favorite illustrations of this from the 70s and 80s was the tearaway jersey. Any old timers here remember the tearaway jersey? Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Here's Earl Campbell. And of course, Earl Campbell could just run over anybody without a tearaway jersey, but they had this added technology in the 70s and 80s of the tearaway jersey. And what it was is they started making really uh, frail jerseys that when a tackler would go to try to tackle the runner, they'd just pull off a strip of jersey. And I had heard at some point Earl Campbell was changing like 10 jerseys per game, right? He would just run down the middle, and they'd just rip it off. I heard a friend the other day talking about a similar illustration about how this one child just loves to have fun and she was two and they were playing in the pool. And you know when your kids are little and they wear diapers and they play in the pool, the diaper just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually the diaper's like this big and it weighs more than the child. He's like, yeah, it was great. We were playing in the pool and she kept trying to jump in and finally she just ripped it off and just dived into the pool, right? What I want you to get is this vision for a passion, right? There's this passion of of letting the other things be torn away. And I think the illustration, kind of the illustration that the author of Hebrews uses in Hebrews 12.1 is like, let sin and these distractions just kind of be torn away, right? Like my, my past life, what I thought would save me, my obsessions over pleasure 
and money, things that led me down dark detours of addiction and pain, those things should just be kind of ripped off as I'm running after Jesus. Again, I'm not, not getting rid of those so that he'll love me. I'm getting rid of those because I'm like, he's better than those. He's captured my heart. And that's the vision I want you to see here in the Apostle Paul. So Martin Luther talks about this just undying devotion to the gospel, to the good news. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done for you. And in his lectures on Galatians, uh, Luther talks about it this way. He says, no law, no matter how divine or holy, has the right to tell me that I obtain my righteousness in my life through that law. He says, I'll grant that it can teach me that I should love God and my neighbor, or that I should live in chastity and in patience, etc. But that law is in no position to show me how to be delivered from sin, from the devil, from the death, uh, from death, and from hell. For this, for deliverance, I must consult the gospel. I must listen to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This gospel, which does not teach me what I should do, for that's what the law does. The law tells me what I should do, right? This gospel tells me what someone else has done for me. Namely, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel commands me to accept and believe this, and this is what is called the truth of the gospel. It's also the main doctrine of Christianity. It's what makes us Christians. That's what Luther is saying here. This is in in which the knowledge of all godliness is comprehended. And so here's a a famous uh, quote that he ends this section with. You've probably heard this before, I don't know. Luther says, it's therefore extremely necessary that we should know this gospel well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Now, Luther's known for his bumper sticker phrases, um, and frankly, saying some inappropriate things as well, but this is really helpful. This is where he's, he's violating the social norms to say, we should be crazy about this gospel. Like, this is our only hope. And so again and again, as Paul is preaching to Corinth, the messed up church, Paul's also preaching to us saying, you know what, when we're detouring into sexual immorality, it's because we've drifted from seeing the goodness of Jesus. We should be obsessed with Jesus. That'll make it all the more easy to let go of sexual immorality. When we're drifting into greed, it's because we've lost our vision of Jesus. We're beginning to think that money can save us. When we've drifted into division and tribalism, We've begun to think that our politics or our preferences or our culture can save us, but only Jesus can save us. When we drift into these dead ends of the sins that he's been challenging the Corinthian church with and he challenges the modern church with, it's only because we've forgotten to look to Jesus. He calls us again and again to look to him. And as we see him and we're excited about who he is and what he's done for us, we're going to run after him. We're going to be crazy about gospel obedience, about chasing him, about pursuing him. So we'll wrap up here. Um, I started off sharing the illustration about, you know, how I had been crazy about catching a pass, scoring a touchdown, winning a game, and trying to teach a lesson to this big guy that will never even remember that I broke my arm on his uh, shoulders. And I thought it was a good illustration because so often I and I think this happens to you too, we can be crazy about the wrong things. We can be crazy to the point of breaking ourselves for success in a game, for success in a relationship, for money, for pleasure, for a thrill. 
Jesus was broken for you and for me. Not just a broken arm. He was absolutely broken. He, he took the weight of the wrath of God on his shoulders. In Hebrews 12, it says, look to Jesus, consider Jesus. Look at what he's done for us. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him so that we don't grow faint or weary, so that we don't give up. Keep looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for us. He despised the shame and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says, in our struggle against sin, we've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, but Jesus has. And so as Paul calls us to be crazy about the gospel and to just pursue Jesus with everything we've got, pursue being with Jesus, enjoying Jesus, right? As he talks about here in the text, Paul has this beautiful picture of wanting to be one. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul is combining the communication of the gospel and the enjoyment of the gospel. They go together. It's a seamless cloth. If we love Jesus, we're going to want to tell people about Jesus. If we love Jesus, we're going to enjoy trusting in him to save us. And as you find yourself growing weary, faint-hearted, as Hebrews talks about, as you find yourself tripping up and obsessing about your own preferences, what's the cure? Well, the cure is not to just say, stop it, right? The cure is to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us and that you've taken hold of us in the gospel. Thank you that you were crazy about us, so crazy that you left the perfection of heaven. You came after us, that you lived a life like us and yet different and that you loved perfectly, you obeyed perfectly, and then you made yourself a sacrifice, a substitute for us. You died for us. You were broken for us. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of crazy, to see your crazy love for us and to pursue you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.